Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Wes Goldberg, host of the popular Locked On Warriors podcast. During our conversation, we broke down the Warriors' chances of getting Pascal Siakam or Damian Lillard, as well as much, much more. Wes, thank you so much for joining me back on the podcast. Um, and, you know, I got to let the listeners know this guy's an absolute trooper, uh, a true friend. I'll hit him up, you know, at like 8 a.m. on a Monday and be like, yo, can you record in a couple hours? And he'll drop whatever he's doing and, and join me on the pod um, just to make my life a little bit easier logistically. So that's true friendship right there. Really appreciate it. Um and I gotta, I gotta give Wes a big shout out before we get into anything else. This guy is officially Twitter verified. Uh, long time coming. Um, probably the most egregious uh, oversight on Twitter's part that I've ever seen to not have verified this guy years ago. He's a traveling NBA beat writer, one of the go-to sources of one of the biggest teams in sports, and yet was not Twitter verified until what this weekend? Yeah, I woke up. Was it Friday or yeah, I woke up Friday morning. Friday morning was big for me because not only was I verified on Twitter, but Tyler, the creator's new album also dropped that same morning. And I honestly couldn't tell you which one I was more uh, uh, excited for. But yeah, man, I've applied, reapplied Twitter, like shut down their application process for a few years, which I think was the big thing. They didn't make it easy, man. They didn't make it easy. And um, I'm glad to just finally have that that stupid blue check mark next to my name. Yeah, no, I'm very happy for you. Did you celebrate? Did you do anything? Yeah, I, I got really drunk on scotch. Um, I would have done that anyway, but being verified made it a little bit more sweet. I'm very happy for you. Much deserved. Um, there's a, you know, you would think we're in the doldrums of the offseason right now because you're, you're kind of like right before things get really crazy in the lead up to the NBA draft and free agency and all that. But there's just so many things going on throughout the league, some of which uh, have implications for the Warriors. And I put out the call this morning for mailbag questions uh, and got a bunch of good ones. But one, one thing that's come out since I put that call was a report from um, John Hollinger from the athletic. And he basically reported the Warriors now have the seventh and 14th picks plus last year's second overall pick James Wiseman and there's wide there's a widespread expectation that the Warriors will use number seven and Wiseman in particular to seek more immediate upgrades to the roster one name to watch Pascal Siakam um this is kind of in line with things we've been saying on our podcast been writing for a while now um so it 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 reaffirms kind of what we've the information we've been gathering ourselves um which is that the Warriors are very open to trading Wiseman for the right guy. You know, they, they have, we heard Bob Myers just a few weeks ago say, we don't want to trade James. Um, the caveat to that being, unless there's a, a, a trade out right. there that makes sense. Um, and so, because any, any offer that they're going to put together for any all-star caliber player is going to have to include Wiseman. Uh, I think Siakam, of all the potential all-star caliber guys that we've heard about, I think he might make the most sense just in terms of a, a gettable standpoint. I think it looks like he's sort of at a breaking point with Toronto at this point. Mm. 
Um, looks like that that marriage might be ending. Um, he's still young in his prime, can as a, can do a lot to help a team. Um, obviously, was a key part of that championship team in the Toronto a couple of years ago. Um, but I don't think he's gonna warrant the package that like a Lillard or a Bradley Beal or or someone like that would would warrant. Well, because he is obviously a notch below those players. And I think that's why Toronto would entertain moving him. Now I've talked about Pascal Siakam uh, a few months ago. I remember mentioning him as a potential trade uh, target because Toronto is a bit of a crossroads here, right? They are coming off that 2019 finals a couple of years ago. They don't have that Kawhi Leonard type of superstar anymore. And Siakam blossomed in that 2019 run, but he's not, he's not talented enough to kind of be that type of player for you, right? He's not going to be that Kawhi level, Kawhi Leonard level type of guy who could build the championship around. He's a good supporting player, right? He's probably at best your third best player on a championship team, a very good version of that. Um, And so maybe if you're Toronto, you would entertain moving him for a really high draft pick or something like that, or, or a guy who you may be able to build around. So I sort of theorized this idea and I, I had no reporting behind it. I just kind of threw it out there, but Hey, if, if Toronto wants to try to move up in this draft, then would, and this was before the draft lottery that I talked about this would the warriors take this Minnesota pick and maybe Andrew Wiggins and move it for Siakam. Because if you're Toronto, that puts you in a position possibly to take a franchise type of talent. What strikes me as interesting is the timing of Hollinger writing this because Toronto actually has a better pick in the draft than the Warriors do, right? They're picking at number four. They could take another franchise guy. I think the idea behind it would be Toronto would say, hey, we want a franchise guy, but we also want a guy at seven. Or maybe, and we want Wiseman, and now we could build around Wiseman, the fourth pick in the draft, the seventh pick in the draft, and Fred Van Vliet, which I think is a pretty good core. So I, I still think it has merit as far as an idea. I don't know if there's been any trade talks like what Hollinger, this is just sort of like a, a, a bullet points column. So it's just a little bit of a blurb. It doesn't go at length. And what, what if anything has really happened here? But um, to me, the name at least makes sense. If you're the Warriors, you'd have to include Andrew Wiggins, I would imagine, for salary matching purposes. Siaka makes $33 million next year. So if it's Wiseman and the seventh pick plus Wiggins for salary, then you're kind of taking, then I guess you're taking back Siakam and then an Aaron Baines type of contract, like a smaller contract. Um, I think if you're the Warriors, you'd have to consider it, right? Siakam is a better player than Andrew Wiggins. I think the only debate would be the fit, right? Like, is Siakam a better fit than Wiggins? Yeah, and I think that's debatable. Um, I'm not. I, I'm not sure how huge of an upgrade that really is in a practical sense. Um, that's right. Yeah. And when you think about who you, what you'd have to be giving up, is it is it really worth it? Um, you know, he. Siakam's actually younger than Andrew, or sorry, actually older than Andrew Wiggins. People might not assume that uh, because Wiggins has been in the league longer, but uh, Wiggins is a good, you know, year younger than, um, than Siakam. Um, So, and you could make the argument that Siakam still has some, some polish that he needs to work on. Um, But I would honestly definitely look into it and if 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 it, if all it took was 14 7 and Wiseman and and Wiggins uh that alone and maybe you could get like something else in addition to Siakam back for that I would I would probably do it um 
I think with Siakam, what you're getting with him is a guy who you could throw the ball to and he could just be your go-to scorer, right? That He is your offense when Steph and Draymond are on the bench, right? So you would build something around Clay Thompson coming back. You would have Clay and Siakam. Because Siakam, he plays power forward, but he does a lot, quite a bit of playmaking for Toronto. His assist numbers are better than Wiggins. Uh, his assist to turnover ratio, definitely better. Um, definitely has more of a ceiling there and has that kind of like that want to be the go-to scoring option. And I think Toronto has learned, hey, you can't be the, our number one go-to scoring option. But if you're the Warriors, you have your number one scoring option, Steph. You've got a guy who can run your offense in that starting lineup with Draymond. And, and Siakam, I think, could function as part of that. And then once those guys are on the bench, now you know what your offense is and you can kind of run things around Siakam. And you can have Clay Thompson sort of, you know, out uh, spacing the floor, letting Siakam drive and kick and do those kinds of things. My question, so my question isn't offensively. And even if you play him, he's 6'9", 230. He's a supersized small forward. Like he would be a Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James size small forward. I think just because he plays power forward doesn't mean he can't function as an offensive small forward, right? So you would play him, you play Steph, Clay, Siakam, Draymond, and probably Kevon Looney as your starting center. Uh, I think that's a functional offensive unit. My question would be defensively, Clay is not going to be what he was defensively before these two lower body injuries, right? And I think the intrigue with Wiggins is that you can have him kind of fill Clay's old role as the guy who guards the other best ball handler on the opposing team, because we're not going to know if Clay can do that. And Siakam, he's good defensively. He's much better in the post than Wiggins is defensively. He's a much better rim protector than Wiggins is. But Wiggins is a much better perimeter defender than Siakam is. So if you take Wiggins off of this team defensively, who then fills that role? You're going to be asking an awful lot of Clay Thompson to do that coming off of that injury. And you have, I think small ball could work with Draymond and Siakam as your five and your four. But until you get to that, I would have some questions defensively. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you're saying. It'd be interesting too. I mean, I guess it would be kind of a homecoming for Andrew Wiggins going to Toronto. Um, I guess maybe that that would help the Warriors' uh, chances a little bit. But um, it's definitely – I think of all the names that we've we've heard, I think it's the most realistic um, in terms of an all-star caliber player. Um, but it's not – it's not a – it's not a home run necessarily for either team if it does happen. Um, so our first question, this is from uh, – at Tom Bomb 33.5. Have you heard anything about Golden State looking into a potential trade for Lillard since the news broke yesterday that he might want out of Portland? Um, we, we've talked a little bit about this in the past. Um, it came out yesterday, a report from Chris Haynes, saying, basically indicating that Lillard may want out of Portland. Um, now, some background here. I know Chris Haynes pretty well. He was on the Warriors beat with me for a couple of years. Um, he is as well connected with Lillard as anyone. So if he's reporting this, I'm one to believe that one to believe that he is getting this from Lillard himself and from Lillard's camp and that they gave the green light for Chris Haynes to write that, which, which right. comes across like Lillard legitimately is unhappy and, isn't necessarily at the point where he's asking for a trade, but he wants it to be known that he is looking at his options potentially. Um, and so 
uh, I think that the next few weeks are going to be really, really critical for that situation uh, and how, how it develops. I think a lot of it's just going to depend on the decisions Portland makes, how they handle the, the blowback from this Chauncey Billups hire, which I don't think they were necessarily expecting um, this kind of blowback and um, what they're able to do in terms of putting together more of a, a contending caliber roster around Lillard. Uh, but if it does reach a breaking point and Lillard decides he wants out of Portland, how realistic of a shot do you think the Warriors have? I think they have a very realistic shot because the other thing about this is if Damian Lillard wants out of Portland, right? We saw the first part of the, the superstar demanding a trade playbook this weekend with, with the leaked report to Chris Haynes uh, implying that he might be unhappy in Portland and I agree with you. If Chris Haynes is reporting it, in, in terms of Damian Lillard, there's nobody closer in the league with Damian Lillard. And, I, and it probably is straight like from Damian. Those personal friends. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this is sort of part one in the superstar playbook as far as demanding a trade is concerned. The next part would be, or an, a, a, a following part of this would be, here's my list of cities. If you were to trade me, this is where I'd be willing to play. We see this happen every single time a superstar wants to get moved, whether it be Anthony Davis, Jimmy Butler, James Harden, whoever. You would have to believe that Oakland, Damon Lillard's hometown, would be on that list of cities that Damon Lillard would want to play for. Um, and if that's the case, I think that the Warriors would be, if they're on that short list of cities, then the Warriors would have a very enticing trade package uh, of these two first-round picks, James Wiseman. They could throw Andrew Wiggins in there for salary matching purposes. They could put Clay Thompson in there if they wanted to and if Portland were interested. Uh, there's a lot of things that they could do. Um, and then if you're Lillard, I think you're able to sort of you're, – you're not necessarily joining a super team, even though I think Warriors fans would think that he is, and most people might. But the Warriors haven't been in the playoffs for two years, right? It's really hard to say, hey, you're joining a super team for a team that's just missed the postseason two years in a row. Um and you can still, from a marketing standpoint, you're still, you're not loyal to Portland, but you're still kind of that loyal guy who ends up playing for your hometown, gritty Oakland. Like it's still just part of your whole uh, brand experience for Damian Lillard. So yeah, I think the Warriors are, if, if Lillard goes so far as to demand a trade, I think the Warriors need to be, if not at the top, really close to the top of the list. And I think they have the, the, the pieces, the assets to go make a deal happen potentially. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing, like you touched upon, is the warrior the Warriors have going for them is that Lillard could very well say, I'm going to go to the Warriors. So work out a deal with the Warriors. Uh, a lot of these guys can kind of name their destination. If it's not that type of situation, if it's a little bit more open than that, I think the Warriors would have a hard time putting together the most compelling package. Um, we're talking about someone who is a future Hall of Famer who is – probably the second best point guard in the NBA who is a borderline generational player. Who's the greatest blazer of all time. And yes, I think he's better than Clyde Drexler. Um, teams are going to unload every future asset they have to try to get him, including, you know, maybe a current all-star caliber player or two, um, you know, some teams that, who do you think other than the Warriors could put together a compelling offer for Lillard? So I think Toronto, the team we just talked about, I mean, if they wanted to put one of Pascal Siakam or Fred Van Vliet on the table or both, whatever, and then they've got the fourth pick in this draft. Look, if this, if the Lillard thing happens this off season, 
Um, I think Toronto has a really good package because you're able to give them the blue chip type of, hey, this is a borderline all-star type of player in Van Vliet or Siakam. Um, they could even sign and trade Lowry there if, if they wanted to try to do something like that. Um, and then the fourth pick in this draft. And if it's just that stuff that we're talking about, if it's just the fourth pick and Siakam versus the seventh pick and Wiggins and even James Wiseman and even the 14th pick. I think if you're Portland, you still take the fourth pick in Siakam because Siakam's the better player. Uh, and the fourth pick in this draft can get you a franchise t- uh, type of talent where you can draft Jalen Suggs or Jalen Green or Evan Mobley at number four. That's much better. I-, I think the Warriors could get a good player at seven, but not a player like that. And if you're Portland and you're moving on from your franchise player in Lillard, that's the type of player you want. You don't want Franz Wagner or Davion Mitchell or Scotty Barnes even. You want you want Suggs. You want Green. You want Mobley. That's the kind of player you want. Uh, and so to me, that and then you got to look at who's ahead of them, right? Like Houston, could they offer Christian Wood in the number two pick? What could Detroit put together? The number one pick, uh, you know, Jeremy Grant, all this stuff. Uh, Cleveland at number three, they could just say, hey, here's Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Kevin Love, for salary matching purposes and the third pick in the draft, like all of those teams can offer one of those picks and say, here's the, here's the, the draft pick. Here's the piece that you now are building around. And, and, and then the trailblazers can go out of the Damian Lillard era and, and straight into a new era with a franchise type of player. That's something that the warriors simply cannot offer them. Even if they put Wiseman on the table, because we don't think Wiseman is that kind of player. Yeah, no, I mean, you make you make really good points. Um, what do you think is the absolute ceiling of an offer the Warriors could put together for Lillard? I mean, the the basis of that offer would be Wiseman, the, the number seven pick, the 14 pick, uh, and probably Wiggins, right? Um, but what else can they put together to kind of put them over the top in that type of situation? It's just... It's seven, 14 Wiggins, Wiseman, whatever first round picks in the future that they can move, like the 2027 pick or whatever it is. Then you, then at that point, you're just sort of like, hey, what do you think about Jordan Poole? What do you think about Juan Conway Anderson? What do you think about Pascal? Like, what do you think about these guys? Um, do you still have PTSD over how Kevon Looney just dominated you in the playoffs? Do you, and do you really want him? Like, it's, it's stuff like that that they could throw on the table. And I think, I do think that there's an argument to be made that, hey, seven Wiseman, 14, that's so much to that. That's basically three players that you can now build around. Um, that that would be the argument, plus Wiggins. And maybe if you're Portland, you flip Wiggins or something else. I don't know. I think it's a really good package. I think it's good enough to get you Damian Lillard. Or do you include Clay instead of Wiggins? I think if you're Portland, you'd have to consider it. Um, but I don't, you almost want Wiggins if you're the Trailblazers over Clay because you don't know what Clay is going to look like. That $30 million plus contract could look a lot worse than Andrew Wiggins is if he doesn't look right coming off of these two body, lower body injuries. And uh, he's obviously on the other side of 30, and Wiggins is still in his mid 20s. Like you could, tech, you could build around, you could build with Wiggins in a way that you couldn't build with Clay Thompson. Now, Portland's a small market team. Maybe they're not interested in building, maybe they just want to get good right now. Uh, and Clay Thompson has star cachet. And if you're losing Damian Lillard, maybe it's helpful to get a guy from a marketing perspective like Clay Thompson. But um, I still think if you're trail, if you're the Trailblazers, you'd probably prefer Wiggins in that kind of deal. We'll have more of my conversation with Wes Goldberg right after the break. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Our next question is from at Amy in one two seven six six seven zero eight. I hope I hope Amy that you're you appreciate that I said your entire name. I think you deserve it. Um, where would Wiseman be drafted if, if he was in this year's draft class? I love that question. I love questions like this. Um, I I believe that he would be in the six to seven range. Um, this is a much stronger draft, at least in terms of the top, at least it's believed to be much stronger. Uh, entering the draft than entering last year's draft was considered. Um, I, I, I preface it like that because last year's draft actually looks pretty darn good right now. Um, a lot of players from that draft were very helpful and be NBA players this season. LaMelo Ball, the rookie of the year, is looking like a potentially generational talent. Anthony Edwards uh, is looking like the future of the Timberwolves. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton, who went number 12, is looking like an absolute stud himself. So but I'm basing this off of what the perception of that draft was entering it versus the perception of this draft. And I think that there are five players definitely that are considered better prospects than Wiseman was entering that draft. Um, Maybe even six because Scotty Barnes is, is really, uh, is really, his stock is really moving up in evaluators eyes um, so I think he'd be somewhere in the six or seven range. Yeah. yeah I think if, if, if we're basing it off of, Hey, 69 minutes for three games at Memphis entering the draft, the way that we looked at him last year, he's probably goes, I think he's fifth. I think he's somewhere he's fifth or sixth or seventh, uh, depending on what the team needs. Right. Because he's behind Cade Cunningham. Evan Mobley is a much better prospect than Wiseman was even last year. Uh, and then you've got Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green. And then after that, I think you're, you're looking at a group of Jonathan Kaminga, Scotty Barnes, James Wiseman. So whatever team is picking there, if that team needs a big man, probably goes Wiseman. If that team is looking for a wing, probably go Kaminga or Scotty Barnes. Um, so I think he's right around there. But if, we're, if, if the basis of this question is, if you just took James Wiseman based on what we just saw and just threw him back into this draft, then I think then I think he's close. I think he's closer to 10 than he is five. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not and like, let, let's like erase the MCL injury. Cause the MCL thing that would put him all the way down to like the end of the first round probably, but um, right. erasing the MCL thing. If based on what we just saw, he's probably closer to 10. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think so. And I, I think you and I are kind of in the same boat when it comes to Kaminga. Kaminga is a guy who, is still being penciled in as like the fifth guy in this class, but mm-hmm. I don't, I think there's growing questions about him. And I think, I think we have our own questions about him. I'm not sure I'd rather have Kaminga than Wiseman, but um, kind of depends on what you, what you need. Um, this question is from at Kevin Nguyen underscore 89. He gets thrown into so much trade fodder, but can, 
Eric Paschal still carve out a role on this team next year? And honestly, um, I I feel like the Eric Paschal conversation gets overshadowed by more pressing topics like potential trades for a superstar in the draft and all these things. But I find the Eric Paschal question and storyline very interesting because he was a first-team all-rookie guy just last year, was a complete coup at 41, you know, was like the feel-good story of, of, a, of a horrible year um 2019 20 i mean we we it was your first year on the beat we'd be on the road being like dude i'm so tired of writing about eric pascal bro (laughs) like it was the only thing to write about because it was the only thing interesting happening um and now he is his nba career is on life support his at least his warriors tenure is on life support um he has not proven that he can be helpful in any other role other than a small ball five which is a pretty niche role which given how things have developed with the Warriors, there's just not a lot of minutes to allocate toward him there. Um, And so he just doesn't have a clear role. He's not a great rebounder. He's not a great passer. He's not great defensively. His help side defense is bad. He you're seeing that he just has a lot of deficiencies in his game. And what got him that first team all rookie selection was that he's good in ISO and if you have no one else who can score, you can give him the ball and he's a solid option to score. But given what the Warriors have right now, they don't need him to do that. And so he just doesn't bring much else to the table. Um, so, but that being said, he he's still guaranteed contract for next season on a rookie scale. Like he's not costing you much. Even if he doesn't play a lot next season, you're not – you're not out much money. I mean, you could have a worst, you could have a worst, a worse uh, 13th or 14th man than Eric Pascal. Um, what do you think? Um, first of all, I don't understand why he's thrown into so many trade ideas. It's like Warriors fans, think you're going to get something for Eric Pascal. Like I've been, I've been at, Hey, if you move, if you take seven in Pascal, can you move up into the top five? No, what? No, it is all about what have you done for me lately? No one's no one's thinking about what he did as a rookie. Everyone's thinking about yeah. how he couldn't crack a middling rotation last season. Even after his rookie year, Pascal had no trade value. Even after being first team All NBA, like there's nobody that looked at Eric Pascal playing for a 15 and win Warriors team and said, "That's the guy that I want." Right? In order for a trade to happen, another team has to want that player. Typically, that's what happens, right? Um, and I, I don't mean that to just like diminish what Pascal did as a rookie or, or, or whatever. I just, I'm just saying like, he's not the kind of player that teams are like, I need that guy on my team. Right. And so uh, I don't think if Pascal gets moved, it's going to be part of some sort of other larger package, or maybe the Warriors even add money to a deal just to clear a roster spot, something crazy like that. Right. It's not going to be swapping Pascal for a future draft pick or whatever. It's not going to be like that unless that it's like a highly protected future second or something. Um, You mentioned all the things that are, an issue with Pascal's game. What the Warriors needed to see from him this last year was that help side defense needing to improve, uh, the point of attack defense needing to improve is on the perimeter, and that three-point shot to come along. None of those things happened. I do think that Eric Pascal could play a role, like you said, end of the bench, special specialization type of situation where I think he can kind of be this next year's like most spates. Like, let's not forget earlier in the season. The Warriors found success having Pascal play as a small ball center, right? Like it was a cool change of pace lineup. Now Pascal 
isn't able to play that position all year long, every single night, right? He just gets beaten down. He's not big enough. Uh, And you saw his body break down at the end of the year. Well, if he's not doing it every night, but maybe doing it once a week where, Hey, we need some, we need to do something. We need to juice the offense. We just don't have it this night uh, uh, tonight. Uh, Let's put Pascal in there as a small ball five, just to mix things up, just to make things weird in the middle of the season. I think that's a, a useful thing to have on your bench, right? Like that's a, that's a cool option that if you're Steve Kerr, you get to go to. I think that's probably his role if he's going to have one going forward. Because you're right. There's no more. This is a make or break year for him, but there's not really playing time for him to go out and work through those issues. He's had two years to kind of work through that stuff, those deficiencies. Now I think you know what he is. If it's an off night, maybe Steph's not playing. He's, he's resting. He's injured, whatever. And you're just like, hey, we need to get some buckets for two minutes. We've been in our offensive drought. Let's just roll out a Pascal at center lineup. Let him go ISO with four shooters and just see what happens. Yeah, that's probably what his role is. Yeah, and look, this is not something that the Warriors are like stressing over. You know, they're not like no. in the Chase Center headquarters, being like, "Oh my God, what are we going to do with Eric Pascal?" It's, yeah, we really blew the forty-first pick. Now our franchise is in jeopardy. Like, no, no that's I not think what they're thinking. if there is a trade that comes about, you know, like the Lillard trade or something like that, where it makes sense to include uh pascal just says like icing on the cake uh then sure i don't think they're, they're, they'd be too worried about that but if they but if that doesn't happen and they go into next season with him on the roster i think they're fine with that too this isn't like an alan smiley Geach situation where you just have a completely wasted roster spot um right. you know he's a guy who i think is still an nba player and you know but maybe he's a player that only plays occasionally you know not every right. player on a 15 man roster plays every game. So it's not the end of the world. Uh, I think people just need to adjust their expectations. And look, I thought, you know, you talk to people around the Warriors even last season when he was first team all rookie, they weren't that high on him. I mean, they were like, Oh, it's nice. Yeah. Like, you know, good. You know, he's, he's a helpful player. That's great. Right. You know, and you, you talk to him, Oh, but he's first team all rookie. Like, could he be, you know, like a core player? I mean, maybe best case he's like a fringe starter maybe maybe right but no one thought he was a difference like a huge difference maker long term uh, they didn't expect this but uh, my next question is from at jamal coding if mike brown gets offered a head coaching position do you think he'll take it yeah um first of all yes <laughs> um, <laughs> If he gets uh, offered a promotion, would he take it? Yes. Hey, I think he would. hey, Wes, if you got offered like an enormous pay raise for a better job, would you take it? Yeah. Yeah. I so. would. Um, yeah. Well, no, but the only, I guess the only thing would be if that job were in Oklahoma or, or Dallas or something, well, maybe even me for Dallas. I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Move we to Dallas. know you're like really Dallas down on Dallas, man. But, uh, but if, but if it meant working with a, a generational type of talent, like Luka Doncic, then I don't have to consider it. But um that would be the only thing right is if mike brown were offered the whatever like let's call it the oklahoma city thunder job even though that's not open like that's that's a thing like do you want to take a job with a team that's completely rebuilding has no timeline of when it's going to compete maybe you wouldn't do it if you're mike brown right maybe it's you know what let me play let me work as the top assistant under steve kerr in a in a well-regarded franchise that expects to be back in the postseason next year and then test the waters next offseason. Yeah, th- there could be an argument there. But, you know, 
you know, uh, uh, generally speaking, if Mike Brown were offered the head coaching job, I think what the question is, is does Mike Brown want to be a head coach again? And I think the, I think the, the, the very obvious answer is yes. A hundred percent. He wants to be a head coach again. I mean, anyone who is competitive in their field wants to be at the top of their field. Mm -hmm. And I think he was very happy. I think he has been really happy as, as Steve's lead assistant. I think they work really well together, but he's done it now for, five years. And I think there is that, I think that itch is definitely coming back and he'd like to be a head coach again. Um, but you actually have a great theory on Mike Brown and I like it. You, I don't know if you know the one I'm talking about, but your, your Mike Brown theory is one that I really like, which is what that he should be the head of a college program. Yeah. And he'd be awesome. And that was actually something I was about to say, cause I'm not, I'm not convinced he's going to get another head coaching job. I personally think that he's as good of a candidate as a lot of these names being floated out there right now. I mean, I think you could make the argument. He's the greatest NBA coach of all time. He's been fired three times. Um, I mean, he has, I think he has the highest winning percentage of anyone who's been fired three times. Um, he didn't a couple of those situations. He got a really raw deal in, and I think he's gotten better as a coach through his assistant experiences. Um, but I'm going to let you, but wait, I haven't wait, heard his you... name mentioned in these searches. And I'm not convinced he's even getting interviews, much less going to get one of these jobs this offseason. So I think that if I'm him and I want to be a head coach, I'm seriously thinking about college. Um, he's been mentioned in the past as a possibility at like, you, uh, I think he was mentioned at Ohio State, UCLA. If I'm a Division One athletic director, I am putting Mike Brown at the top of my mm -hmm. dream list for coach, head coaching jobs because there's a big difference in terms of college coaching and NBA coaching. The bottom line is college coaching is more of a grind. Like it, good college coaches are those guys who are willing to log 14 hour days. Good NBA coaches are more guys who understand how to massage egos and, and deal with locker rooms. But I think, I, I think that Mike Brown's skill set is really well suited for the college game because he um, works his butt off. He's the hardest working coach I've been around and he, uh, you know, he can go into a college environment and talk to an 18-year-old and be like, hey, you know Steph Curry? You know LeBron James? You, you want to be them? I coach them. I coach them on a very high level in the NBA Finals. Um, you know, he'd be a great recruiter. He's very affable. He's he would very be an, outgoing. He'd be an awesome recruiter. I mean, you put him in a room with any five-star recruit. I mean, you and I have dealt with Mike Brown enough. Very charming. Very authentic. Just a really good dude. Yeah. Um, easy to work with and just immediate, like there's an immediate charisma about him. So if you put him in a, in a living room for 10 minutes with a college recruit, he's, he's going to get the college recruit to fall in love with him because of the things you said. I coach Steph, I coach LeBron. I know what it takes uh, to get to the NBA finals with a generational type of talent like that. And then he would win over every parent. I mean, he's, he's got that kind of vibe about him. Um, the one thing I would say is he does have, Unfortunately, he's sort of that NBA retread, and that's not, and that's probably why he's not being mentioned as far as these head coaching opportunities is concerned. I almost wonder if he should, if he wanted to really be an NBA head coach again, should he kind of go the Nate McMillan route and kind of go find a lead assistant job for an unproven coach who may get fired within the next year? And then he just sort of ascends to that job and then crushes it. And then just takes over that job in perpetuity, right? Because Nick McMillan's going to keep the Hawks job. I can't imagine that he wouldn't. So um, that's not happening in Golden State, right? Steve Kerr has as much job security as any coach in the league. Yeah, Steve's going to at least finish out his contract, which I think he has three right. left on. 
And it, and if he and if he leaves, I don't think that they would just hand the job over to Mike Brown, right? Like you want to be in a position where the coach is fired midseason, and then the natural thing to do is just promote the lead assistant. So maybe if you're Mike Brown, you go do that. I don't know. Um, our last question is from at Shadia Hooper. What should Golden State be looking for in the 2021 NBA draft? Barring trades, are they looking only for NBA ready guys, the purely best players available, or a mix of both? I'm going to let you take the lead on this one. So what should they do and what will they do are two different questions um, with maybe the same answer, but possibly two different answers. Um, I, I think that there's a, a kind of a narrative on Twitter and, and, and online being, hey, should they go for the immediate help or should they go with the guy with the best upside? But the Warriors aren't going to go into the draft with two different boards, an immediate contributor big board and then an immediate and then an upside big board, right? They have one big board. And it's going to have a mix of guys who can contribute immediately and guys who are probably more of a long-term project, right? You and I agree on Jonathan Kaminga, for example, that the Warriors should not draft Jonathan Kaminga, that he's in a lot of, or or has been for a long time, kind of one of these consensus top five guys. I don't think the Warriors have him at fifth on their big board, right? I I think that they have other guys above Kaminga, but he's somewhere on that board, right? He's maybe he's at nine. Let's just call it nine. Okay. Well, by the 14th pick, the Warriors are sitting there and Kaminga for some reason is still on the board at 14. They're going to take him, even though there's a, even though there's an understanding that he's not going to help you right away, but he's got a lot of talent and he's somewhere on that board. So you're just, and if he's the highest player ranked on your board, then you're just going to take him. So it's not as simple and it's not as black and white as immediate upside versus or immediate contributor versus upside. So that's first what, what they should do is take the guy though, that I think they should break up their board and do that and just say, Hey, look, if this guy is in any way a long-term project who we don't think can contribute as a rookie at number seven, at number 14, you can probably take a more raw prospect and just see what happens. But at number seven, you got to take a guy who can help you right away. Like that, everybody, at, and that should be how you order your board. How many guys do we think can play for us right now and help right now? And I think you could just go through them. I mean, it's not a mystery here, right? Like this isn't rocket science. Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green. That's your top four. After that, it's something like Scotty Barnes, Davion Mitchell, Franz Wagner, um, Corey Kispert. I mean, those are the kind of Moses Moody, potentially, Alfred Sangoon, if you think you can put another center on this roster. Those are the kinds of guys who should probably rank really, really high on the Warriors big board and maybe higher than other teams have those players just because they might not have the upside of some of these other dudes like like Keon Johnson or Jalen Johnson, for example, but we know that they can play for you right now in a way that those guys probably can't. Yeah. I I think obviously plan a is to package the, these picks as a part of a bigger deal for an all-star caliber player. Okay. We've talked, we've talked on, we've touched on a couple of those possibilities. Plan B is to package them and move up into the top five and get someone like a Jalen Suggs or Jalen Green. That is also a long shot. If they do keep both picks, I am leaning toward feeling that they should use both picks on guys that can help them next season Um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, if you're drafting a quote unquote high ceiling guy or high upside guy, you're basically saying you're drafting someone, you know, is not going to help you next season. It hasn't really proven anything at the college level to make you believe he could, his game could translate immediately. Um, Right. And those guys are just a mystery box. Like so many of those guys don't do anything in the league, end up 
especially when they come into situations like the Warriors where there's like a pretty established hierarchy. Minutes aren't just be given, being given to anyone. And, you know, that what would end up happening with a guy like that is he would end up playing with Santa Cruz most of the next season, maybe for the next two seasons. Then by then, maybe his confidence is shaken. There's still not a clear path to minutes. Then even if he's an NBA level player, he ends up being a bust. That's what often happens with these guys. And so I would take with both of those picks, I would take people that you think have legitimate shots of being helpful rotation players next season, because this team is at least several helpful rotation players away. And, and yeah. the more options you have, the better. If, if one of them doesn't pan out and isn't a legitimate rotation player next season, not the end of the world, but you want to give yourself options. And uh, you know, I think there's, I think there's a bunch of guys they can get in that range who fit that bill. I think Davion Mitchell, who we've talked about, um, Moses Moody, James Booknight, um, Corey Kispert, Franz Wagner. Um, you know, one guy who you mentioned just now is Alperen Sangun. Sangun? Sangun, I think. Sangun, who uh, out of Turkey, who I really like. Uh, you know, these are guys that I think would fit that bill. And I think one or, or all of them are, are, would be available in that range. Um, so I would go, I'm leaning toward that path if they keep both picks. Yeah, you have to look at the draft for the Warriors as an extended free agency, right? Because all you have, you have no cap space. You only have the mid-level exception. The draft is July 29th. Free agency starts August 3rd, August 2nd, something like that. Um, so, but if you're Bob Myers, you should have a general idea of who you're going to be able to get in free agency, right? Like we know these conversations are ongoing. So um, you need to, and even let's say you nail the mid-level exception signing, right? That's only one rotation player that you've added to this group. You need, like you said, several more. I think that this is a this this team is probably three rotation guys away, and Clay Thompson coming back at seventy five percent of what he was, or something like that, uh, to being back to where they want to be as a legit contender in the Western Conference. So you need to go nail the mid level exception, and then you probably need to find at least one rotation caliber player with these two picks. Which at seven and fourteen. You can find two rotation guys, right? You can find legit dudes at seven and fourteen, but just as easy, just just like you can find legit dudes at those picks, you can find guys who are busts. And by the way, we're talking about a Warriors team that has picked second overall, seventh overall, and fourteenth overall. If they hold on to both these picks, odds are those three, all three of those guys, are not going to pan out. You're lucky if two of those guys end up becoming legit players for you, just based on the crapshoot that is the first round of the NBA draft. And so um, I think if you're going to use those picks, you just try to find guys who you think can play today and can help you today because you don't really have the look, time to go develop. Just because a guy can help you next season doesn't mean he's not a potential all-star. <laughs> right. I mean, the, a lot of these guys still have these guys who we're talking about who can help you next season also have high upside. Yeah. It's just, it might not be as high as these mystery box players that you're talking about, but you could also argue those, those players who can help you more immediately in Golden State, they have a better chance of reaching and, and, and maybe exceeding whatever ceiling we think that they have than even the, the, the rawest prospect at the highest upside, right? Like, because that player's just not going to get on the court. Giannis needed to play point guard for three years to get to where he is now, right? The Warriors don't get to do that. Like, if you drafted, if Giannis were reincarnated and placed in this draft and the Warriors took him even at seven, they wouldn't be able to develop 
Giannis the way that he was able to develop in Milwaukee. They just don't have the means to do it. And they, they shouldn't yeah. do it. And they already saw, have their franchise player. You saw how much the Warriors struggled this past season with quote unquote threading the needle with Wiseman and balancing mm-hmm. the need to develop him with trying to win now. You don't want more of that type of stress on Steve Kerr's play. I mean, this yeah. isn't the number two pick, but it, we're talking about lottery picks. You don't want more of that kind of stress. You want guys who can help you and can fill a role, and you just don't have to worry about it. And like you said, these guys aren't without upside, right? Damian Lillard was a junior when he came out of Weber State. Like, even just because they're 21 or 22 years old doesn't mean that they can't – like, they're, they're, they're tapped out. They've already reached their ceiling. Just go get a guy who you think is really good and who fills a need and can just play ball for you right now. And then just, just don't overthink it. You know what I mean? Like, just don't overthink it. Just go, go get the guy who can help you right now. Wes, thank you so much for joining me back on the podcast. My, my newly verified, Twitter verified friend, much deserved. Uh, I, I want to celebrate you this sometime this week. I'm going to have to give you a Zoom call and have a beer with you or something. There we um, go. But Wes, if, uh, if our listeners are silly enough, silly enough to not already be following you, where can they find your work? Just follow me on my new verified Twitter account at WC Goldberg. And then uh, Locked on Warriors is now on YouTube. So go check that out. Just, you know, YouTube search Locked on Warriors, hit that subscribe button, and then you got it. Our thanks to Wes Goldberg for joining me on the podcast. Absolutely love chatting with him. Warriors Off Court is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support Warriors Off Court in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. 